Our passage this morning is Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's so good to gather for corporate worship with you on this Christmas morning. And we have all the kids that are under four in here as well today. Kids under four here, it's good to have you in here with us too. Uh, I know Sojourners pretty well, so I trust that this will go well. But uh, if you have kids under four, Sojourners, we, we do not mind a little noise from them, right? right and, and if they need a little help, we, we're good with that too, right? Like, we, we are so glad to gather all together um, with all the, the little ones here this morning. And something happens when you get around a baby. It, it's like an instinct, maybe. I mean, it's, it seems to be universally true. When you get around a baby, when anybody gets around a baby, baby talk ha- happens, right? People start talking different. Like, their tone changes. It shifts. It gets a little softer. You start saying words that aren't real words, you know, like you, and you start mushing words together. It just, it just happens. It's a sweet way of, of kind of in a sense, us getting down on the, on the level of a, of a baby and trying to communicate and mimic their noise to, to babble and lisp to them. And, and while we lisp and coo and, and babble to communicate with babies, God, He uses a baby to communicate, to lisp, to babble, to coo to us, to communicate who He is. Christmas is the, the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior Christ. And, and he was a baby. Jesus was a baby who, who cooed, he, he lisped, he, he babbled, he grunted, he did all the baby noises. But we need to see that scene correctly because in this scene with this baby, it is not just us, we don't need to come and coo to him. This is God cooing, lisping to us, as it were, speaking to us, making himself known. This This baby that was born, this Jesus Christ, was God stooping down low, condescending to communicate with his creatures, to babble in a way that the world and that humanity could understand. And and what's revealed when we see this God cooing and lisping in the person and work of Jesus is something that we can grasp, we can understand and know it, and we can marvel at it and and should marvel at it for all eternity. There's there's beauty and there's glory in in the Christmas scene. And it's that beauty and that glory of the person and work of Jesus that is perhaps why the the author of Hebrews doesn't give any introductory remarks when he writes this letter that he writes uh, in front of us. He just goes right to the, the heart of the content. It seems as if almost in a sense taken up, as it were, with with how great this this Christ is, how supreme, how good, and how awesome he is that he goes right to Christ. And and the content in the first few short verses say that that God spoke and and that he spoke by his Son. Look in verse 1 of Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but God spoke. Spoke. That is a tremendous mercy that, that those two words have loaded within them. God himself 
spoke. God, he's the God who needs nothing. Like he, is, he is fully sufficient in himself. He owes nothing to anyone. Like he, he creates and he owes that creation nothing. He has rights over it to do with it as he wills. And he has no owe, uh, debt to owe for the, the creation that he's given. He has no obligation to fulfill. But this God spoke. This is an act of sheer grace. No one would know anything about God unless God would make it known. And this God spoke. It's an act of, of sheer grace to condescend, to come down by adopting human language. Did you think about that? It's not as if God was like speaking human language in eternity past. Or maybe he was, but, but he stoops down low in order to make sure that we can understand him. He adopts human language. He, he doesn't just create and acts in this world that he's made it, and, and, and hope that humanity is going to figure it out, and just leave uh, creation to just figure things out on their own. He speaks, and then he speaks into that creation. He, he acts, and he creates, and he interprets those acts for his creatures. And, and this alone puts him in a unique category of all the gods. Right? Some other gods might communicate something they, they might say, here's a way. G God says, I am the way. I'm going to make sure you know it. I'm revealing myself to you so that you would know me. God spoke, lisp lisping and babbling, as it were, to reveal himself, to make himself known. This, one author says this, that communication in its deepest sense is a matter of self-giving, a making common of one's life, and as such, it's the basis of interpersonal fellowship and communion. There's a reason. One of the top phobias in, uh, in our culture is a social phobia. That would include like the, the fear of public speaking. Like that, that sounds uh, horrific to many of you probably. It, it's a real phobia. The, the phobia, social phobia, the, the fear of social interactions. And, and the reason why is that that communication that you have in social settings is a real vulnerable place at times. It can be uncomfortable it can be this place where it seems like I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself out there and we don't know how this is going to go because communication is a sharing of oneself. It, it is a self-giving. There's a reason that one of the kind of the punishments that we use uh, wrongly, sinfully toward one another is giving one another the silent treatment. There's a reason that's a thing because a withholding of communication is a real withholding of ourselves. There's a reason that communication is key to all relationships. Because in communication, one shares their life. That's where fellowship is found, is in communication with one another. And God, who has no obligations to fulfill, who is completely self-sufficient, who needs nothing, spoke. There's no silent treatment from heaven. God spoke, and that speech, that revelation, that communication is a matter of making himself known. It's a matter of his self Giving. Why does he give of himself? Why does God speak? He speaks to be known. To share and to give himself for fellowship with his creation, for communion with his creatures, with the humanity that he made. His speech and a revealing of himself is not merely informational. It's not data only. It's made as an invitation to us. It's not just information. It's invitation, a divine invitation to know about him and to know him. It's an invitation to know the kinds of things that he does, to know him in this world that he's created. Just, we can know his character, we can know his world, and we can know him in his world that he's created. And so he adopts human language to call humanity into communion and fellowship with himself in a way that, again, that, that those humans can understand. And notice how much mercy 
that God has revealed with his speech, with his revelation, communication, and his description in verse 1. Long ago and at many times and in many ways. That's the emphasis in verse 1. Many, many. All the way from Eden where God walked with man and woman in the cool of the day in the garden to, to Sinai where God thunders on the mountain to the temple where God dwells amongst his people. He speaks to them in exile and all over. He speaks in visions in a, a flaming bush, in writing on a wall, on tablets of stone through prophets, and even a donkey. God communicates in those many ways. In many ways, God spoke. And that reality of self-giving communication at many times and in many ways should simply astound us because that is a great mercy. God could speak and it could just simply undo us. But God makes himself known in a way that we can not only see and know and understand, but that doesn't undo us. He mercifully babbles and lists to be known. But notice the links that he goes to in order to make himself known. Because God spoke, but verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. He spoke and he spoke in the Son. Notice the contrasts that are, that are here in verse 2. Long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also has created the world. Long ago and at many times versus these last days. That signals that all was leading up to this, that, that God was speaking and now God has spoken in his son. Many ways versus this one way. Now God has spoken through his son. It, it tells us that all prior communication, all prior revelation, everything that God was speaking through, through riding on a wall, through a donkey, all of it has been leading to this, that, that all of that was preparation for this way of God revealing himself in the person of Jesus. The previous word was preparation for the word made flesh. All prior communication was preparation for communication in the Son. All that communication, all that was long ago and in many ways was partial. It was in segments. It flowed to us in parts. Now it finds its final and full commitment in the person and work of Jesus. Now it finds its fulfillment in the Son. On Christmas, we celebrate the birth of the Son because of this. He is the fulfillment of all these things. And, and we celebrate the birth of the Son not because, like, not because the birth was extraordinary, it, from all that we see in the scripture, the birth was very ordinary. Now, what's extraordinary is, is virgin conception. What's extraordinary, according to the scripture especially, is the identity of the one that was born. Verse 2 tells us that this is the one who was appointed the heir of all things. He's the one who created the world. Remember the first man, Adam, he was created to hold dominion, to rule over creation. But he failed. But the Son, what is he listed as here? The heir of all things. He's the Psalm 2 man who he's going to ask and the Lord's going to give him the possession to the ends of the earth because he's the heir of all things. And you know what God is doing in this is, is God's not looking to diversify his investments and make sure he gets some land or some real estate in order to make sure that something doesn't go collapse on him. He's restoring what's lost in Adam. That's what he's doing here. That's why he's the heir of all things. What was lost in Adam, he's restoring Christ. So the son is sent. The son came to get what was lost in Adam. And he, has, he is, after all, after he's coming to rescue it, to save it. He is the rightful heir of these things, right? Verse 2 says, through him, the whole world was created. It's all his. It's all Christ. It's all the sons. Why? Because the son, what he's communicating in verses 2 and 3 is that the son is God. He's God. This is the Son, the one and only begotten of the Father, who is himself, as the, the Council of Nicaea said, very God of very gods. Or, or Hebrews describes him like this. Verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God 
the exact imprint of his nature. Two descriptions show us the the greatness of Jesus and are all pointing to the fact, the reality that this son that he's speaking about is, is God of gods. He's of the same substance as the Father, the same essence, the same glory, but he's also distinct. Like, radiation comes from light. They, they're never separated. They go together. Like, you don't have light without it being radiated. You don't have radiation without there actually being light. They go together. They're, they're consubstantial, but they're also distinct. And, and he says of Jesus, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's, he's shining it forth. He's making it known. And he's the exact imprint of his nature. He's the perfect representation of God. So much so that John could come along and he could write in John chapter 1, verse 14, he said, the word, the word that was with God and was God, was made, took on flesh. The word was made flesh. And then in verse 18, he goes on to say, no one's seen God, but, but this one, the son, the only one who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. So that Philip later, after Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, Philip's like, Philip says, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus is like, what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says in John 14, 9. Why? Because he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In 1961, the, the Russians, they put the first man in space. And there's a story that says that like, when, when Khrushchev uh, spoke to this man, he asked him if he saw God there, and he said that he didn't. It's like, okay, we went to space, and we didn't see God there. But as those who read the scripture, we should have no expectation that you're going to see God when you fly up into outer space. It's clear from the scripture, if you want to see God, you don't need to fly up into outer space. You don't need to look up into the sky. No need to search for ancient civilizations or to go into uh, caves at the bottom of the ocean. If you want to see God, you look to Jesus. God has spoken by his son. And it's through Jesus that God himself is perfectly and fully revealed. And he does this again so that God can be known. Amen. And what does Jesus reveal? What does he speak? In verse 3, he's this one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Jesus reveals a sovereign God. It's through Jesus that all things were created and he upholds it all. He created it and he's upholding it, right? He's, he's the creator and the sustainer. And, and because he created it, it shows that he has some, some care for it, some intentionality in it. And so when he's upholding it, he's not upholding it as if he's just uh, holding up dead weight, lugging it around. It's not what he's doing. He, he's upholding it. In other words, he, he's using it to, to accomplish his purposes in it that he created it for. That's what this upholding of the universe is. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, all of creation that, that was made through him is moving in a certain direction. It's, it's his direction. So when we look out on the world and it seems like it's off the rails, we can say, no, it's not off the rails. Jesus is upholding it even now by the word of his power and it's moving in this direction that he wants it to move in. It will get to its destination because he created it and he's upholding it. Verse 3 also says that he made purification for sins. The joy of Christmas is only the joy of Christmas for the scandal of the cross. Jesus was born to die. In order to uphold God's holiness, the character and nature of God, which Jesus is the radiance of, the perfect representation of, the exact imprint of his nature, in order to uphold that nature, purification for sin was necessary. And purification only comes in one way through the scripture. It only comes through sacrifice. It only comes through blood. You remember what John the Baptist says of Jesus when he sees him? 
He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's he getting at there? That this is the one who's going to be a blood sacrifice for sin. That the one who is needed is a lamb, and there's the Lamb of God. A lamb is needed reminds us of the depths of the problem. Because Hebrews will go on to tell us that no blood of any lamb would ever be sufficient. But Jesus, this one who himself is God of gods, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature is the Lamb of God. God has to take on flesh. God has to provide the sacrifice. God has to provide the blood. That a lamb like that is needed reminds us of the depths of the problem of sin. And who meets that problem? God himself. That the one who makes purification is the one who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature shows us what lengths God is willing to go to in order to seek and save the lost. A lamb was needed, and God himself becomes that lamb to take on himself the sins of the world. That The purification of Jesus' death on the cross shows the intensity of his love for that fallen creation, shows the intensity of his justice, shows the intensity of his mercy. He is both just and the justifier. That's the character of this God that's being revealed in the person of Jesus who makes purification for our sins. God spoke in his son, and in his son, the one who made purification, he can speak peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near because he's made purification. And look what he does after he does that in verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does he do? He, he sat. He sat down. He was born. He, he lived a perfect life. He dies a sacrificial death. He kicks death in the face and raises from the dead, and then he sits down. And, and, and with the work of purification for sins, truly as he pronounced on the cross, finished, done, it's over. With that finished, he, he takes his seat. And this seat is a seat of enthronement. Don't miss the imagery because we have lazy boys, right? We have lazy boys, and you go sit on those things when the work is done, and you're relaxing, and you're just like, I'm checking out for a while. I'm in the lazy boy. That's not what Jesus is doing. This is no lazy posture. This is the posture of a king. This is the posture of a reign. He sat because he's the king. He sat because he's reigning and ruling. And with verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews here, we get this, this great, clear picture of the, the greatness of Jesus, of the supremacy of Jesus. And it's through that one, the, the Son of God, that God spoke he, he's the great prophet who doesn't just speak forth the word of God. He himself is the word of God. He's the great high priest who doesn't just make purification for sins. He himself is the purification for sins. He's this great king who is the heir of all things and wins all things and sits enthroned as the one who reigns over all things. And this is the God who spoke. I've heard you can use, there's this uh, company now called Cameo where you can you can buy, essentially, people talking to you, sending you a personal message, right? Actually, Daniel had one of these uh, from Frodo Baggins. It was awesome. Um, you, you can get a personal message from someone like really popular, famous athlete, actor. Frodo Baggins himself apparently is on there. Uh, and that's, that's, how cool is that? To be like, we're in the middle of nowhere, we're nobodies, but somebody out there that seems to be really important in the world's eyes can, can send us something personal and unique. And, and that's cool, but we can look at Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 6 and say, big deal. Because God spoke to us through the Son. 
God has spoken to us through His Son, who fully reveals Him. And what's revealed is that this Jesus that shows us the exact imprint of God is enough for us. What problem do you have this morning, I wonder? Jesus makes God known, and in knowing Him is eternal life itself. Jesus met your biggest need, your, your sins. The wrath of God is, is turned against you, but, but there's one who makes purification for sins. He meets your biggest need here and now. And as the heir of all things who sat on the throne, he will also give you all that's needed for you to be eternally saved if you trust in him. Your inheritance, if it's found in the one who's the heir of all things, is completely secure. He's set. He's not worried about the inheritance anymore. Right? It's his. He owns it. And it'll be shared with you if you trust in him. This very God, a very God, the sovereign of all the universe, the king of kings, does not wish also to live at a distance from us. That's why he spoke. That's why he spoke in his son. God spoke and God spoke through his son. He revealed himself and came near. And verses 1 through 3, they give us enough to meditate on for eternal Christmases, Right? But out of all the depth and greatness that we see in these three verses, there's a key part, a beautiful, it's one word, two words to us, beautiful contrast not to miss. The contrast in verses 1 through 3 about long ago, many times, many ways, and verses Jesus, they, they, they brighten the greatness of Jesus, the supremacy. They show us the supremacy of Jesus. Well, there's one not to miss. All right, long ago versus these last days. Many ways versus this one way. The, the prophets versus the son. But there's one more not to miss in there. He spoke to our fathers. But, but now, how has he spoken? Who has he spoken to? Do you see that two tiny words that are so key, so beautiful? To us. Spoken to us. It's also to us that a child is born. To us, a son has been given because God has spoken in his son. And in this Son, to us, an invitation is extended to know, love, and live in light of the glory of God. What are you hearing this Christmas? What are you hearing? Here's what I think the Scripture would have us hear. Would you hear the babbling of a loving Father, babbling, cooing, lisping through this Son, saying, know me, know me. And would you come and adore Him? Let's pray together. desires changed so that we would think and speak 
and act as people who have hope, of people who are forgiven of sin and have the ability to love and forgive others who sin against us. Jesus, we want to be your worshipers because you are worthy of everything that we have. And so, um, God, we give you our lives. We give you this day. It's Christmas, and we want to make some noise, not just at church, but uh, we want to delight in you and in the best gift that you've given us, the gift of yourself. As we give presents, we give gifts, we mimic you, we act like you, we give things to people that we love, not because they have been naughty or nice, like the Santa Claus myth says, but because we love, we love our family because we love him, and you love us simply because you set your love on us, and we are so thankful, God, if there are any here who do not know you, Jesus, I pray that they would, I pray that you would open up their eyes to the beauty of your goodness and your love, and they would turn away from their sin and lay their sin in their very lives before your throne where you are seated, and they would make you their king, God, you are a worthy king, we love you, Jesus, continue to speak to us.